You're listening to the Fairfax Bible Church Discipleship Podcast, where we aim to help our church think biblically and grow as disciples who love Christ and live sent for His glory. For more information about our church, visit www.fairfaxbible.org or follow us on social media. All right, looks like we're up and running. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fairfax Bible Church Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matt Rumbaugh, and I'm delighted to be here today with not only my dear friend, but one of my heroes. This is Lilia Oberman. Lilia is uh, the coolest person in our church, and I'm so delighted that we have the chance to share uh, her story with you today. Some of you know Lilia. Some of you may not have had the opportunity to meet her. Many of you have been to her house and had tea and lunch, delectables from the land of the Philippines. What you might not know is Lilia just published a book. Here's what it looks like. It's called Lilia, My Life in the Hands of the Maker. And uh, so Lilia, I've, I've heard from a couple of people who said that they read your book in one day. It uh-huh. actually took me two days. Uh, <laughs> But uh, many people have said that once they start it, they cannot stop. Your story is not only inspiring and delightful, but it is spellbinding just to hear what God has brought you through and and how you arrived here. So first things first, thank you for sharing your time with us today. I'm really delighted that we get the chance to do this. Uh, You know, I'm a little nervous, but thank you for even taking this time. When I started writing, I thought, what am I doing? I cannot do this. But uh, through the encouragement of our pastor who said, you remember about a few years, couple of years ago where he said, write a story, 100 stories of how God is working in your in your life. Yes. And I did like a two, three paragraph story. But from there, it's like, uh, I was prompted by the Lord to say, Lilia, you have more than that. You can, you can write. And I said, no, Lord, I cannot. <laughs> well, I remember being in small group with you for a season and whatever it is we would be talking about, you would have a killer story. And I was like, Lily, you've got all of these. What have you, are, have you written these down? Are you writing these down? We need these. Yeah. And I remember having those conversations with you. Right. And you're one of those who encouraged me, kept saying, write your story. And I said, should I? You know, anyway, we need to encourage each other to move on. Sometimes some people need a push. Yeah. 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 If we see that there's something good, we need to push our brothers and sisters in the Lord in the right direction. Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit. So, uh, so you are from the Philippines. You were born there. Uh, yeah. and you, that's where your family is from. Most of your family is now here in the United States. Uh, and so that's, that's a part of, of your journey. But tell us about growing up in the Philippines. I know that an important part of your story is that um, the family that you were born into, uh, not believers when you were born. So an important part of your story is, is your parents coming to understand who Jesus is and, and what he has done for us. And, and that had a big effect in your family. So I, I'd love to hear that story. Okay. So like most Filipinos of my generation, we are nominal Roman Catholics because the Philippines was uh, found by Magellan, sent by the Queen of Spain. So they brought the Roman Catholic Church to the Philippines. So almost all Filipinos, 98% at the time, were Roman Catholics. And so my parents too, they were uh, 
they would observe the holidays and did things that are socially acceptable, but they really did not have any relationship. And at one point, uh, um, somebody who's uh, a friend of the family came to have his uh, suit made by my father. My father is a tailor. And it so happened that he lived from in the country and stayed with us for a, a while to have his suit made. During that time, he shared the message with my father. And my father comes from, uh, came from a political family in, uh, in, in the Philippines. And he had seen the effect of the politics and things that had affected his family. So when he, of all things, when he heard that verse in, uh, I think it's in Deuteronomy that says, the sins of the father will be visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. He got scared and he said, I don't want my kids to inherit that. And that's what touched him to say, I wanna have a, a different life to give to my children. So the, my father coming to know the Lord allowed us as Roman Catholics to go a different directions. And we, he came to a point where he, he received the Lord Jesus. And all of us, seven children were baptized in the Presbyterian church in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. That's very unusual. Yeah. But we were just following him. And then because of that, several years later, the three, three first daughters of my father went to a summer camp. That's a whole new, whole different story. Yeah. We went to a Baptist camp and that's where I had my own personal encounter to what it means to know Jesus as my Lord. Yeah. The other thing that I really uh, loved in the book is how, um, the in the early days of your parents being believers uh there was not a an organized church in your town and so your father's tailor shop was essentially your church and yeah. I, it, it may be hard for people to understand so we can keep this a little bit brief but explain a little bit about what that was like you the place where you're asleep, you sleep there at, at night, but then the next morning it's a Sunday school class. It's it was very it's a strange story, but uh, it is. It people, is. What was that like? Yeah, it's very remarkable because the tailor shop was on the first floor. We lived on the second floor, where the bedroom. Anyway, every day my father worked hard, and then when he came to know the Lord, our tailor shop was closed on Sunday. So we, we knew something was happening. Why would he close the shop on the busiest day? And what is also remarkable is there were three people who visited us every week for three years from the church to follow up, to follow up what happened to my dad. And so um, from there they said, okay, we need to have a place for them to worship. There were no there were no Christian church in our in, in our neighborhood, so they opened Sunday morning. They would uh, have the service at the tailor shop, and we were all you can imagine. It's a whole congregation: seven children, my father, mother, the tailors in the tailor shop. And we were thinking, what are we doing? We have to close our eyes when we pray. 
And I remember distinctly some people were throwing stones at our house because they were thinking, what's going on in that house? They, they now have prayer. They could hear us sing. And, but that's amazing. That's where it started. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the book gives us more detail, obviously. So people go get the book and we'll tell yes. you more about that at the end here. Um, but then you get older and, uh, and uh, a slightly different uh, than the culture in the Philippines, but it was important to you and to your family that you get an education. You developed an interest in the medical field. Uh, and so you had the opportunity to go to university there in the Philippines, but then to pursue your education further, you decided to come to the United States. And uh, that part of the book is really beautiful, just about the struggle that was. And uh, yeah. you know, today that's a, you know, it's certainly not an easy flight, but it's a, it's a relatively straightforward experience. You get on an airplane, you spend a few hours in the air, and then you <laughs> land in the United States. That was not the case for you. Um, so it was a little longer journey. So, uh, and, I, and I know that even today, one of the things that you you really focus on is people who are in the United States for the first time. That's an important value for you. And you spend a lot of time with uh, with people who are in this country for the first time to help them learn English and, and customs and things like that. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear what was your experience the first time that you came to the United States? What were you doing? And then what were some of the things that you learned and adjustments you had to make? Okay, just like any transition, it was like new experience. It was like a honeymoon. I was more excited about being able to come to the United States. And I did not, I did not even worry. I did not even think that it was going to be hard. But yes, the number one shock was the weather. <laughs> now, when you came to the United States uh, from the Philippines, the Philippines obviously is a tropical climate, and you went to school in Wisconsin. Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Michigan. That's right. Sorry, Michigan, Anna. And yeah, those are Michigan. very different places. Oh, oh my goodness! I thought I thought I had the warmest jacket. My father made me a suit of corduroy, and I thought that was if I wore that in the Philippines, I would be sweating, you know. And I wore that coming to Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I arrived in September, <laughs> but I landed in San Francisco. But anyway, the weather. The other thing was. The people, everybody was big. <laughs> <laughs> and then they spoke English that I thought I spoke English. I was bilingual, you know, mm -hmm. in the Philippines, but I did not pronounce the words as you would speak. Even now you right. can tell that I'm Filipino. Right. The word, the food, the food, I missed rice. I normally eat rice three times a day. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and I was so impressed with, the abundance of food that within the first three months, I gained 25 pounds, if you oh, can imagine. Yeah, wow. yeah. 25 pounds added to my 78 pounds. I was 78 pounds when I came to the US. So it's the food, the weather, the people, the, the language. But the one thing that I was really shocked was Coming to America, I thought everybody was Christian because the only Americans I met in, in the Philippines were missionaries and Christians. And here I was in an intern's home and I was the only one who wants to go to, who want to go to church on Sunday. And I had to walk a long ways to go to the one church, Presbyterian church that mm -hmm. I knew. Yep. So I, that was a big adjustment. Wow. 
so your your first time in America, you were here for a couple of years uh, working on a, a degree uh, in in the medical field, nutrition, right? You became right. I was doing what they call a dietetic internship. After okay. four years, you need to do that to be certified to be a registered dietitian. Yeah. And uh, so along the way, you uh, struck up a relationship with a, a young man and got pretty serious. And uh, it had a uh, there was a result of that that you did not anticipate, and that changed your life. It was a big yes, turn in your life. Yes. So yeah, I don't want to say any more. You you tell us the story here. Okay, so I was on what they call a visitor's visa. So in two years, I had to come back to the United to to the Philippines. But in the meantime, like you said, I I met this uh, young man, and. Um, during that time also, most of my Filipino friends have left the area. So I didn't have a group of uh, close fellowship. I was not in a church. So this young man was the only one who would listen to me when in talking about problems. And uh, I had to go back to the Philippines because of my visa problem or get a student visa. I was already enrolled in the School of Public Health, but it was like a catch-22. I needed to have proof that I was a student. I needed to have proof that my visa was okay. It was a very difficult time. And there was no one to counsel me during that time, except I had a friend who would listen. Mm -hmm. And this friend was uh, Mahendra and we, uh, to make a long story short, this was a very hard chapter for me to write. Yes. It's we fell in love and I was 21 years, 23 years old. And yes, I, I got pregnant. And my decision was, what do I do with this? Do I go back to the Philippines and be embarrassed and or go to, I could have gone to Canada because most of my friends who needed to have their visa extended went to Canada and were employed there. But in the meantime, I was carrying a baby. What do I do? Yeah. I, I was just, I don't, in fact, now as I think about it, how did I survive that time? Yeah. How did I make the right decision? And I'm so glad, and I have to say this, that it was not legal to have an abortion during that time that would have been my first choice because mm -hmm. i was in a position where i needed to proceed with my training or go back to the philippines without being embarrassed during my generation that is that is like the ultimate of of wrong thing that you could do mm -hmm. have a baby when you are not married mm -hmm. And what shame that would bring to my parents. So I was not only thinking of myself. So the shame was so big compared yeah. to, I did not know that that was something that was against the Lord's will for me. During the whole time I was in Ann Arbor, I did not have any teaching in the word, no fellowship. So I was very far removed from what it means to, to know the Lord. Mm -hmm. But, but I want to emphasize, it must be the Lord's 
faithfulness to me and answer to prayers of my loved ones that made me the right decision, made me make the right decision yeah. to go yeah. back to the Philippines. It is a gut-wrenching part of the book um, into just uh, how you're a young woman caught between your time in the United States and the Philippines. The idea of the, the honor-shame culture yes. that's not as strong in the United States, but is obviously very uh, influential in the Philippines and many parts of the world, even today. Yeah. Um, and so the, the agony of you carrying the need to make that decision really, really comes through in the book. I hope so. I hope so. Because even as I think about it, even now, whatever decision I make, it affects my whole family. Now it's it's not my parents, but it's my children, my grandchildren and great grandchildren. Yeah. And that's the reason, in fact, for the book. So I think the family is very important that we all have to realize we don't we're not an island. Lilia is not just making a decision for herself but it's for who I will affect in my family line, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Now, one of the things you say in the book is, um, uh, you don't say it in these words, but one of the things that you point out is uh, when your son, David, was born, uh-huh. that he came with so much joy, struggle for sure, and we'll, we'll talk yeah. about here, that here in a minute, but so much joy that you cannot imagine life without him. And the, the joy that the that he brought into your life and that the Lord used him, um, like if you'd understand that even then, like maybe that decision wouldn't have been more of a struggle. Like, of, of course, David is yeah, going to be yeah. part of your life and, mm-hmm. then, and your children and your great grandchildren and, and all of that. But that was one of those things like, um, so I know that the, the toughness of the decision really comes through, but the joy of, of that really comes through yeah. in the book as well. The joy and how it has shaped my life. I think that is the most defining moment for me, not as a nutritionist, not as whatever I have accomplished, getting my master's degree and all that, but being a single mother has really been the defining moment for me. And what, I mean, he's 60 years old now, my son, And just reviewing how the Lord has really sent him as a blessing. It's Psalm 121. Children are a gift from the Lord. And what was I doing? I mean, now I can look back and say that. I was going to reject this gift that God gave to me. That even in my sin during that time, the Lord still said, I'm going to bless you, Lily. I'm going to give you a baby. Wow. I mean, looking back, that's what I, I can say now, but I didn't know at the time. Yeah. 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 It Yeah. And so we're we're fast forwarding through some parts of your story. There is an amazing episode where you end up in Guam for a couple of years, uh, which is uh, amazing. Uh, And then you come back to the United States. You start in North Carolina, uh, eventually end up here in Northern Virginia. You were on staff at Children's Hospital in D.C. for many, many years. Um, Almost all of that as a single mother, in fact, all of that period as a single mother. Yeah, and yet uh, that story is remarkable because your focus was not on the struggle. Your focus was on uh, joyful obedience in that time. I hope I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but that was one of my takeaways yeah, from yeah. that. Um, what was that experience like? What was, you know, it's easy to look back now and, and sort of uh, simplify it, but it must have been incredibly challenging. And yet it seemed to be a season of joy for you. 
Right. It, it's it's interesting because not not interesting, but it's amazing. Amazing. I will use that word because we were prepared. Our time on Guam was preparation time for us because we learned about who God is and what he is doing in our lives. And uh, when he calls us to do something, he prepares us. So coming to Northern Virginia as a single mom, that's amazing. I just got a letter from yesterday. It's handwritten. Oh my goodness. Handwritten and it's four pages from a woman who was in one of my Sunday school class 25 years, 30 years ago who thanked me for for um, my son and I will he says I was always amazed that they David a teenager would want to take Alan my seven-year-old boy to play basketball outside what teen would want to play with a seven-year-old I mean she was just telling me how the Lord had used us in her life mm-hmm. I had forgotten about that and it's because as we were growing up, David and I, we always said, I would tell David, David, this is uh, being a single mom. I didn't use that word. Uh, they would say that um, a boy growing up with a single mom is handicapped or something like that. You know, uh-huh. I said, no, what, what we need to focus on is the Lord brought us this so we can help other mothers who are raising children without a father Mm -hmm. and so he had always talked about that that way so while he was watching a tv show one day seeing this big brother program he came up to me he was just a teenager he said mom how can i be a big brother to somebody who is that and so alan was one of them Mm -hmm. But the Lord had put that in our heart. We were not thinking of we were victims. We were victors because Christ was in our lives. And it's because we learned that when we were on Guam for two years, we were in the word of God. We were nurtured. That's a very significant part of my life. Yes. I I would not have survived coming back and getting my graduate degree without knowing the Lord as as I did. Yeah. yeah I, um, your faithfulness to him and certainly his faithfulness to you is evident all throughout that chapter or uh, many chapters, right? Um, let me stop here and ask you, um, you know, I think even then uh, a single mom in a church is a bit of an outlier. Right. Um, and I know that um, uh, you talked about kind of feeling um, a little bit uh, like you were not a black sheep or something like that, but you know, most other uh, families with children, there's a mom and a dad, you're just a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, What did your church do to make you feel supported, included? And and, and I'm asking that so that we might learn, so that as single moms might come to our church, what are things that we can do to support them and, and, and make sure that they feel included? Right, so I think, the difference between that, that's why I'm in America rather than in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. If I was in the Philippines, even in a Christian church in the Philippines, I would have been like marked as a single mother. Right. And I would I would already have, uh, what do you, 
well, an identity as a single mom. Yeah. Even though here in, at the church where we went, nobody asked me, in fact, where, where David's father is. And they just accepted me for who I am. But I was also, that's the gift from the Lord. I was not shy or embarrassed. I got involved in whatever program was involved. So it takes two. The church was welcoming, accepted me. And in fact, one of the things that the pastor's wife at the time invited me in a training program for missionary wives. So there were, you know, I mentioned that to uh, how we could be trained in the word of God to help others. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is to identify and use the people's gifts and don't identify me as a single mom. So uh, so to learn more about that, people, you have to buy the book. Uh, the <laughs> next season, though, is uh, when you worked at Children's Hospital, you worked uh, under uh, a, a man, Dr. Rowe. Uh, yes, yes. And, uh, and so there was a, an interesting, uh, he was your boss or your boss's boss. He was an authority figure. He was my boss. And he yet you me. struck up a, a, at first a friendship, you know, a very good working relationship that cultivated into a friendship that ultimately cultivated into something else. And, uh, and that it's else. an unusual story. And I'd love to, to share that with the people. Okay, something else. He was my boss. I was deathly scared of him. <laughs> you know, he hired me. He's a doctor, uh, and um, but there was chemistry. I mean, you know, I was attracted. I mean, this man was, uh, I cannot describe it. I mean, uh, and he, he was also attracted to me. So he would show signs, and my coworker says, oh, Dr. O likes you. I said, no, he does not. Well, I have to say, Lilia, there are some pictures in the, in the book here. You are quite a dish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't say he was wrong for being attracted to you. No, no, anyway. So that part where he came uh, in the book, where he came to my office, was talking about um, regular uh, meeting that was happening. And he was saying, are you going to the meeting in, I think it was out of town. And we were talking about this. And I said, now, do you know that I have... Uh, I don't know how old David was, a young man, boy. I have a son that I need to find a babysitter for. And he turned beet red. And I said, oh, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, he said, uh, he was actually asking me out on a date. He changed, <laughs> he changed the topic from the business. You know, are you going to the meeting to would you go out with me on a date? <laughs> and I was so out of it. I mean, but he was very indirect and I did not understand yeah. that speaking of culture. And so from that first time and we went out on a date and my, my sister by that time was here in Northern Virginia already and they checked him out before I went out. On a very cold morning, we saw Fiddler on the Roof <laughs> in wow. a, yeah yeah and in, in a theater in Washington DC and I was I was uh, of course excited and my heart was thumping like a teenager <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and and that started but then because he was my boss and and also i did not have the confidence that he knew jesus as i did right i was very careful i was very guarded in our relationship i could not show my affection i was not free and i'm glad that i had that restrict you know guard yeah, and one of the things I was really struck by in the book is you were pretty honest with David about that experience. And David was honest with you about his feelings about that experience. Yes, yes. Well, that is that is probably one of God's gift. We my son as growing up because single parent, we were here by ourselves. We had a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing hidden like if he didn't feel good in school, he would tell me. If I had a hard day at work, I would tell him. Mm -hmm. So we were just walking along. But the other thing is he was growing in his faith, in his yes. own faith as a teenager. He was part of a very good youth group. In fact, they belonged to the FBI. And, and, and that's coined uh, Faithful Bible Investigators. I love <laughs> that. Yeah, I, I know, I know. And so, I laughed when I read that part of the book. I laughed because I could just hear your voice like explaining that. So yeah, yeah I giggled. Yeah. I giggled at that point. Yeah. And and he would always check check me. Why are you, why is Doctor O coming to the house? He does not know the Lord. I mean, and I you know how how do you explain that? Yeah. yeah. So through some stops and starts and some ups and downs, you two eventually decide to get married. Um, and he actually moved into your house in Fairfax. And so if you would go to Lilia's house now and see the, the <laughs> birds and the butterflies and the decorations, that is a legacy of your time with Dr. O because he yes, was a major yes. lover. Uh, yes. And he had a, a cabin out uh, in the mountains that he spent time uh, in and, and really enjoyed. And yeah, so it's That's a way for Dr. O, even though he's not part of our church, uh, but it's a, it's a, a way for for us to get to know him a little. Get to know him. Yeah, yeah. and I'm 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 ahead of things a little bit because he actually uh, after you'd been married for some time, you realized that he was very sick, uh, and you were a caretaker for him, and he eventually passed away, and that was a formative experience for you as well. So can you can you share a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Actually, before back up a little bit yeah. before that, my parents also who were in their nineties um moved in with me so when i got married dr o married me and my parents there were yes. three of us in the house again culture so uh, i was prepared to take care of dr o and I'm, I'm impressed always how the lord prepares us when he calls us to a difficult task I was used to already what to see and my father died first and then my mother in my care. Mm -hmm. So when Bill, uh, Bill's Parkinson got to the uh, fourth stage Parkinson latter days, I was able to meet that, uh, how, how would I say caring, being a take care, a caretaker. Yes. Yeah. Um, he being a doctor also, he knew what was going on with his body, but this, this also is to me, a uh, grace from the Lord. When I realized here's a doctor who wanted me to be this caretaker for him. Like he did not want any of the people at the hospital do anything with him. 
without letting me know. Yeah. Yeah, without consulting with me. And he was in hospice care for one year, actually, six months in my house, then six months at Millie's home. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a beautiful story. Um, and so, you know, for, for someone like, yeah, I've been married 20 years now, um, and other people in our church are relatively newly married. When you talk about for better, for worse, or for sickness, or, or for health, uh, you and, and Bill, Dr. Rowe, were an example of that. And uh, you know, the the tenderness of that part of the book was very, very moving to me, Lilia, so. Yeah, but um, I wanna say though that he was a gift because before his Parkinson's was so bad already, preventing us from traveling, he took me on travels every year. So we took six very beautiful elder hostel travel, I wouldn't say around the world, but because of his interest in nature, we went to, Costa Rica, we went to Mexico where we saw the monarch butterflies, yeah. we went to the Pyrenees. I mean, it was just something that is my heart's desire. And this is where I, I see where the Lord is blessing me, where he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. That was a gift. Yeah. Before, I mean, taking care of him was not an issue at all with me. Right. Yeah. So Dr. O passes away in 2012 and not long afterward, you show up at what was then Harvest Bible Chapel Fairfax. <laughs> uh, we've since re renamed uh, Fairfax Bible Church. And, uh, and I, I met you right about that time. Uh, you joined the small group that I was part of that I, I eventually led. It's, it's been here in our home for many years and yes. very quickly, uh, Lilia, you became an important part of my family, uh, an important figure, somebody whose counsel we trusted, whose company we valued, who's uh, just somebody who just meant uh, a lot to us. That was that was really special. Now, I have to say, Lilia, uh, you know, one of the things that people, when they walk into our church, even now, they look around and be like, whoa, you are a very young church. Uh, and so you're <laughs> 84 years old, right? Um, and yet you you, I, I joke with people that you're actually the youngest person in our church. So, uh, I guess the plainest way to say this is, what in the world? Why, why, why are you part of our church, Lilia? Well, you know, this is re real in terms of God put me there. I cannot. This it's really for me. What am I doing here? I mean, I cannot relate to all these millennials and this. And, and the hymns and the songs they're singing, I don't know the tunes. I don't right. know the words. I want to sing what a friend we have in Jesus, Rabbi oh, of yeah. Ages, you know, how great thou art, which sometimes we do sing. Yeah. But I mean, I'm saying I'm completely out of water. But somehow the Lord has put me in a place where he says, Lilia, you are needed here. Not in, in not in audible voice. Every time when I think, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the right place. I need to have my own. Normally in America, you have a homogeneous group. You know, when mm -hmm. you have a Sunday school class, it's for 65 and over. Right. It's for teenagers, it's for single moms. But somehow you, you all have welcomed me. I found my place and, and uh, at Fairfax Bible Church. I mean, people have loved me. I mean, you, you and Christy, I mean, you know, and, and Will, 
Mm -hmm. my adopted grandson yeah, who lives in your house i'm not sure people realize that but yeah so you met will in our small group and you guys developed a very special relationship to the point that little i mean we we joke that he's your adopted grandson but he literally lives in your house right right when when um before the time you know being uh, like i said single mom when i would travel to the philippines i would ask him and say will would you um kind of take care of the house and he was the one who would make sure that the uh, place looked secure, you know, his insecurity, so right, it's secure. Yeah. But so when he asked me if he could stay here, I said, well, I don't rent my house, which he knows. Only family, I have extended family coming and going. But that is a gift from the Lord also. I mean, you know, why, how, how would, uh, 33 year old be in the same house with an 84 year old i mean our worlds are far apart yeah but we are close because our fellowship is in the in the word yeah. and, and in in our church like you said yeah. and he has brought some of the young people to my house yes yeah so it is a it is a badge of honor to go have lunch at lilia's house <laughs> sometimes when i can cook <laughs> <laughs> No, it's yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's something to laugh about, but you do have a remarkable gift for hospitality. Uh, and I, uh, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of being in your house and, and I think it's, it is a little bit of a rite of passage for people that are maybe coming, they're new and especially people who maybe move to Northern Virginia, where it can be hard to find connection and community, but to, to go into somebody's house um, and get a home cooked meal and be treated with so much warmth and respect it, it really is a gift it is a, a gift that you've honored us with and i know so many people that have been blessed by that it's it's still part of my heritage from my parents because i grew up with my parents always opening our home we were we grew up poor but it does not matter we have the rice cooker we didn't have a rice cooker then it was just ordinary pot of rice and we can extend it and I've seen them welcome people. So for me, it was just so natural. Yeah. And also, isn't oh, hospitality ahead. a gift from the Lord? What is that mentioned as one of our gifts? Some yes. people are given hospitality. Some some are teachers like you, Matt. Oh, you're, well, you're a teacher. Oh, well, thank you. Pastor like Jeff. I mean, we all have different gifts. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you said before, and I, I, uh, you talked about how in a lot of churches in the United States and North America, we tend to sort of put people in groups. So there's the 65 and over Sunday school class, there's the youth group. We've tried not to do that at our church. And for a lot of the reasons that you just expressed, you know, if uh, we're recording this on February 23rd, so the next Sunday, Jeff will be in Titus chapter two and talking about uh, honoring older women and older men and that, that, that relationship between older believers and younger believers, that the, the younger believers are in a position to learn from the older ones. That's a really, really important value in our church. You are exemplar in that, Lily. And I know that you give up something to be a part of that, but I, I can speak to this from experience, not only my own, but seeing it in the life of others. We benefit from having you around to hear your wisdom, to learn from your experience. Um, 
Uh, so it, it's a great gift to our church. And uh, I think we're on to something here. And so when people come to and say, well, I'd really want to be in a small group with other young married couples. Mm-hmm. And my response is often, I know you think you want that, but you don't really want that. You really want to be in a mixed group where there's a little bit more diversity of age and diversity of experiences and things yeah. like that. The blessing that is waiting for you there is more than you can possibly imagine. Thank you for saying it so well. Many times uh, I remember when Will and I would come home, he would be driving my other in my other care group. I said, Will, I don't think I belong here. And he would always encourage me to say, Lilia, you have something to say. You say it because we don't have that. And I say, but I, I feel like sometimes I don't even understand what people are talking about or they speak so fast. And I have to say, what did you say? But he says, just being there. I was told before by my other pastor, Lilia, being you, where you are, Showing up is your ministry. Just being there already ministers to us. And sometimes I have to remind myself because I feel like, what am I doing here? And uh, it's it's a big issue, you know. Sure. But the other principle, uh, Matt, is we grow in relation, not in isolation. And I think we want, when we isolate a certain category group, we don't learn from each other because we have different experiences. Um, I mean, I, it's not my my own desire to be in a group like that separate. Even the fact that I don't go to a Filipino church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I could I could go to just a culture wise and everything, but I want to learn from. I'm here in America. I want to learn from Americans but I don't only want to be with 84 year old Americans. I want to learn. I mean, how would I be able to navigate this Zoom meeting and the <laughs> internet? If Will is not here, says, Lilia, press that button. You do this, you do that. I said, okay. So I'm learning. It's pushing me. You, you say, how do you say it? Pushing the envelope? Uh, yeah, I, I say that sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it's comfortable just to be in our comfort zone. We want to be with our own kind with, you know, but we, we need to stretch. And I think that's what the Lord is telling me. I'm, you know, me alone. I'm not, I don't like difficulty. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I like to be with people who eat rice and fish <laughs> <laughs> and who talk like I do. But I'm learning. I'm learning. I mean, so many things I'm learning from from you being part of the care group. And I think intergenerational. Uh, I, I don't know if this is true, but I don't see any example in the Old Testament where they just isolate one group. There's always a family group that whenever they speak about Abraham and Isaac and all, it's always including including the servants. Yeah. You know, the prodigal son, including, you know, it's always intergenerational. Yeah, yeah. But you because are, you are a gift to us in that area, Lillian, <laughs> and you have my deep gratitude for that. So 
Oh, thank you for saying that, Matt. But uh, you will have to tell me when it's time for me to move on. <laughs> oh, never, as far as I'm concerned. My, my well, we're probably getting uh, running up against time here. Uh, there are a million stories uh, in the book and, and that Lily could tell. Uh, so you need to, if, if you haven't already had dinner at Lilia's house, you need to figure out a time to go have dinner at Lilia's house. But Lilia, one of the things that I want, uh, I want to finish people with is, um, uh, you know, for somebody like me, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 40s, uh, but a lot of people in our church, uh, 20s and 30s, um, one of the things that I think you have to offer is, is some insight on walking with God for a lifetime, Be, staying faithful, staying on mission, staying on target, staying intimate with, with the Lord for a lifetime. If you could offer maybe two, maybe three thoughts on how we might do that, how we might be in a position to be in our 80s and yet still faithful and still have something to offer and still part of a community, what, what might those things be? I think uh, for me, it's to say that life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a daily thing. It's not all the highs and downs of life, but it's every day. It's, it's daily. Life is daily. Mm -hmm. One, recognizing that two, we are not our own source of power. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I have to remind that myself whenever I don't want to do something or whenever something like this. Matt, I don't want to talk about me, but God says, I put this in your life. You have to recognize it's my doing, not your doing. Yeah. Not to claim that this is in my power, so that. It, it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And to remember that God says, he's the one who started the work in our lives. And he, he who starts good work in you will finish it to the end. It's a matter of trust. I think if every day you trust God, that today is going to be in your hand, God. Um, like I said, I thought I, I had the effect of the vaccine and I didn't want to do this. But I think part of it is I was a little scared of what I, you will ask me <laughs> what answers <laughs> I would give. <laughs> Can I do this? Do I want to be vulnerable all over again to people? And God reminded me, Lilia, it's not you. I mean, if it comes, it's because I placed it there. So the whole issue of trust and obey. I think that's the message. Even raising David up, I said, David, as long as we trust God and obey, we have nothing to worry about. Every day is trusting the Lord. It sounds right. simplistic, but those are the things that come to mind. Yeah. Well, again, the book, I'll hold it up for you if you're looking on, uh, on YouTube here. It's called Lilia, My Life in the Hands of the Maker. Lilia, if somebody wanted to get a copy of this book, what do they need to do? They just have to go to lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. Yeah. It's not on Amazon yet. So, and in fact, I didn't think it was going to be this. <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to write something for my great grandkids. Mm -hmm. So they have something to hold on in terms of our heritage of faith yeah. from my parents. Passing the baton in writing. Yes. 
It's a beautiful story. You all owe it to yourselves to, to uh, get, get one copy for yourself and read it and then get a copy to give to somebody else because it's a beautiful story of living faithfully for God for a lifetime. Uh, and so Lily, you've been a blessing to me and my family. You've been a blessing to our church. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. You are my elder, remember? I came oh. to you I came to you when I was having a difficulty in a relationship. And you said, what are you doing here? And I said, you are my elder. I need, I need your blessing. And so I thank God for you. Each one of us has a part in the body of Christ. Yeah. No matter how little, how big, we are all part of the body. Well, believe me, it works both ways, Lily. If I've been a blessing to you, you've been two or three times as much to me. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Matt, for thinking of this. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you Thanks. next time. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fairfax Bible Church Discipleship Podcast. If this episode was helpful for you, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share with someone else. Until next time, we pray you continue to grow as a disciple as you love Christ and live sent.